Welcome back to your Buzz Rant and Rave podcast. It's been an interesting week. I'm Andrew Raff. Uh, we recorded the uh, two-parter of a uh, TV panel about two weeks ago or so, and then uh, this segment, the second half, got a little pushback in editing because we've had some interesting weather here in the New York area over the last week. Uh, fortunately, here at Buzz Rent and Rave World Headquarters, we didn't have any issues with flooding or loss of power or uh, loss of heat or any of the uh, real struggles that uh, a lot of people in the area have dealt with. And I feel very, very, very fortunate for that. But uh, before you go on to listen to a podcast about uh, pop culture and television and hopefully one that's fun and interesting, uh, consider making a donation or volunteering to support some of those people in the communities uh, either here in Brooklyn, in New Jersey, or uh, Staten Island, Queens, or anywhere else in the area that have uh, really suffered this week. Um, I'll put some links up to them on uh, buzzrentrave.com. And uh, once you do that, uh, come back and listen to the second part of our TV panel where uh, I talk with Amy Watts, Dan Suter, about the shows we're excited to see come back this year. Uh, in the first half, we talked about the new shows that we liked, uh, Nashville, Elementary, and Ben and Kate. And in this one, we're going to talk about the, uh, the shows that we liked that were returning. Uh, we bridged into talking about my pick for a returning show out of my pick for new show, which was Nashville. And here we go. And so let's go back to that more innocent time of a couple weeks ago. Good segue here is Nashville to, well, Robert Altman's Nashville, which is, I'd say, the biggest thing that influenced Treme, which is the show that I'm most excited to have back on television after a, a long while, because even though it's not the most plot-heavy show, even it, though it's not the most exciting show it's really got a great sense of place it's got great music and it's got some great performances wendell pierce uh, condi alexander uh steve zahn who rescued a terrible character after the first season and the the writers brought that character back into being much more uh watchable uh lucha micarelli micarelli uh who's and just there's amazing music on this show and all these real chefs and musicians playing themselves, some acting well, some not, but uh, it's not The Wire. It's not uh, a tremendous amount of performance, but it's just a really satisfying show to watch. And uh, like, uh, like Nashville, the movie, the Robert Altman movie, there's not a whole lot of plot moving forward, but it brings you through the sense of atmosphere uh, from little story to little story and you follow these characters as they rebuild their life after Katrina and uh, it's just a really nice place to go back to I haven't seen enough of Treme um, it's not I, I watched 
the first 15 minutes of the pilot over the weekend. Um, and I think it is one of those shows that, like Dan was saying earlier, you have different levels of attention for different shows. And I think Treme absolutely doesn't work as background. No, um, there's so much, I wouldn't say plot, but there's so many people in it that... Well, when it's a, when a show is about texture more than plot, it doesn't do you any good to not pay attention. Exactly. And, you know, give it your full attention. And I could sense that Treme was that. And so I was like, you know what? I need to be in a mood where I'm willing to absorb myself in this. And so I'll probably go back to it mainly because I am enjoying The Wire so much. And, you know, there's a lot of crossover there. And plus, I am a huge, huge fan of Kim Dickens, the actress. Um, if you've never seen a little movie from the 90s called Zero Effect... Uh, she's terrific in it. It's out of print on DVD, but I believe it's showing on one of the cable channels this month, like Showtime or Cinemax or something. Um, it stars Bill Pullman and her and Bill and Ben Stiller. And she's kind of been on my radar since that movie. And so I'm, I'm really interested to watch Treme just to see her performance. I believe she's the chef in Treme. Yeah, she's a chef. Uh, she has a, in the first season, she has her own restaurant in, uh, in New Orleans, and she's really the, your intro to the the world of food. Uh, okay. The, didn't the show... they bring in? Didn't they bring in Bourdain to write the that side of the show? Yeah, Anthony Bourdain wrote all of the uh, the food scenes in the uh, second and third seasons. He's one of the, he's a producer of some nature, and there have just been so many food people giving uh, cameos on the show. David Chang uh, of the Momofuku restaurants here in New York plays himself uh, in pretty much throughout season two and into season three. Uh, as the, as uh, James Ransome, Ransome uh, who plays Ziggy Sabatka on The Wire, uh, is a sous chef for him in the show. Uh, Anthony Bourdain shows up, Eric Repair occasionally, uh, the show does obviously go to New York uh, in, in season two. Uh, and a whole bunch of uh, New Orleans chefs also appear. Susan Spicer is on there. Uh, a bunch of other... Uh, the the showrunners really went for authenticity as far as a lot of the atmosphere. And it shoots on location. And they try to shoot in as many real places that are supposed to be playing themselves as they could feasibly do. Um, I, I, I hear all, everything you said and I, for years, people have been telling me it's a, it's a tone poem. It's impressionist. And I just, the show puts me to sleep. It, it really, it, <laughs> it's, I, 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 I told, I told Amy earlier on G chat that I, I watched like four or five episodes of it. But I, I honestly fell asleep in like the middle of two of them and had to like wake up the next morning and and like figure out where I left off. Yeah, the, yeah. The high point isn't so much the plotting or the the stories of any particular episode. Uh, it's probably the music, and it's the music is all done by uh, real names. But I don't like 
jazz. Like just hearing <laughs> the hearing the free jazz at the beginning of Homeland is enough to make me to make me go. Oh, come just on, go ahead jazz. and punch Dan and uh, go ahead and punch Andrew in the face. Just go ahead and punch no, him right in the I, face. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I don't like it. So if and... you so so if I'm gonna put you on song pop, I'm going jazz in every uh, category. Uh, I, I don't have a I don't have a smartphone right now, so you won't get to beat me in the jazz category. But it's on man, Facebook. Is it now? Yes, it is. The well, now I have no excuse not to lose to you in the jazz category. <laughs> but I, it just honestly, my issue with it, like, and there were things I liked about the show. I really liked the restaurant side. I liked the performance John Goodman was giving, and I liked that. The character was really sort of extreme, but you, like, you get why he was. And the Melissa Leo side, I I didn't like so much. The the like trying to find the lost kid, um, that that wasn't for me. But and I I liked most of everything. It just sometimes I'd get to the end of an episode. The episodes, I mean, if I ever got a terminal illness, <laughs> I I would just start marathoning Treme because it would make my life feel so much longer. <laughs> <laughs> like it would it would make the time i have left feel like eons like i would get like 20 minutes into an episode and i'd be like i've been here forever i'm so thirsty oh food water it just like <laughs> it's not a bad show i and i enjoyed it i love wendell pierce in this show he's so good he is just sort of this drifting weary traveler of life and i loved it but man <laughs> if anything ever happened the, the most excited I got was when the old guy got into the, the Native American garb and, like, danced outside some dude's house. The old guy and, being Clark Peters. Yeah, Clark Peters. It, is he's a He was on The Wire, and he's done a bunch of directing, right? Yes. But that's Clark Johnson. Clark Peters has also directed at least one film or TV show, I think I you're thinking of Clark Johnson from Homicide, Dan. Yeah, I am. Yes, but that's, that's awful of me. Um, but... And, like, that was fun, but I didn't need the, like, 20 minutes an episode of... Or not, like, not 20 minutes, even just the 10 minutes an episode of his son helping him clean his house. And I get that we're supposed to feel like, oh, their lives are fragmented, they're relearning how to live after Katrina, but... I don't know. I think if this wasn't a David Simon show, it would have gotten canceled after one season, and no one would have ever watched it. No one watches it, frankly. And that's, I mean, that's not necessarily the mark of a good or bad show. No one watched Terriers. But if this wasn't a David Simon show, no one would think it was good. And this is much more of a niche show than than Terriers or The Wire, other shows that no one watched. This is a much, much smaller show than those. But it's also, this is more good in like the indie film amount of viewership. But the albeit I've only seen about a sixth of the show so far. I've only I've only seen four or five episodes, but I feel like it's skating on David Simon's reputation. I mean, uh, and I do think it does pick up as it goes on. I think the, the second and third seasons are better. They find some of the characters a little more. They get the characters into different configurations. The uh, the stuff with uh, uh, Sonny and Annie in the first season is just terrible. Like, yeah, that I did not. I, you that just want to murder Sonny. And he is a completely different character by the end of season two. Uh uh, Steve Zahn's character is completely insufferable in the first few episodes. Oh, and... I called him manic uh, in in the G chat. I was like, he was there was a lot of him being manic. 
and there's not that much to hang on to of of these characters but all the characters that were problems in the beginning have been redeemed like by the middle of season two i was loving the the uh, steve zahn stuff more than any of the other characters and that's a real testament to how uh how well they adjusted the the writing of that character and we've gone this far without mentioning oscar winner melissa leo or uh, uh, Condi Alexander, who just does tremendous work in the, the second season, too. So is that enough, Amy, for you to, to get you to start watching? After I finish all the other shows I'm supposed to watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Treme is a show I will eventually watch, but I think I'll be When you get that to, terminal illness. I'll be, I'll be closer to 30 than I am than 20 when I finish the show, like, you know. I, I still haven't seen any of the last season of Chuck. I still have all of last season of Fringe. I have I have a lot of stuff to go before I before I do Tremaine. And, and I feel like maybe I should learn to like jazz first. I need to get a little older, get a little <laughs> get a little older, get a little whiter. And uh, oh, you know. well, that's I not think, fair. I, I think it, watching this, you'd recognize that Look, jazz is maybe, not white person's music. I, I there you go. Get, no, no, no. I either need to get way whiter or way blacker it's one or the other i'm just in the middle and it's not gonna work like i gotta go one way or the other and right now i'm, I'm just you know well i, I think I, you're probably closer to the way white so go that I, way i i respect i respect Treme, but as of now it's not not the show it's not the show i'm, I'm looking for okay so what are you looking for i i have i don't need to look for bob's burgers because i found it um Bob's Burgers is the show that you forgot you needed in your life, but that you absolutely do. Um, the comparison that gets made a lot is early season Simpsons, uh, but it's not quite there. It's a little different. It's it's a, it's more grounded than The Simpsons ever was. Um, frankly, <coughs> there are times when this show is a little less cartoonish than like Raising Hope. Now, um, Bob's Burgers, uh, the setup, it, it's a half hour cartoon show on Fox. I, I don't know when it airs. On Sunday, it's a Sunday sometime on Sundays. An, the animation domination block. Sometime in between terrible Seth MacFarlane shows and terrible Seth MacFarlane shows. Um, but this show is brilliant. It's by Lauren Bouchard, who did uh, home movies. If you're into that sort of thing, um, but it's got an incredible voice cast uh, playing a husband and wife team who run a who run a burger shop and uh, their. Um, and their children, their brood. Uh, H. John Benjamin, the voice of Archer, um, and p- plays Bob of Bob's Burgers. And his wife is played by a man, John Roberts. Um, Kristen Shaw from Flight of the Concords and assorted other things. 30 Rock, she's playing the new page on uh, 30 Rock, uh, plays Luis. Uh, Eugene Merman, uh, an, an, in- an indie comedian of note, plays uh, the son, Gene, and... Dan Mintz, who I I don't know what this guy has done other than this, but if all he did in his life was give us the character of Tina, the weird, weird character of Tina, that would be enough. Um, Dayenu. Exactly. Um, it's got some really great recurring actors. Uh, Laura and Sarah Silverman play a pair of twin boys. Um, Andy Kindler uh, hasn't done much of note, but he he's great as one of as sort of a doofus recurring customer. And Megan Mullally and Kevin Klein have shown up a couple of times. Kevin Klein is the guy who owns their shop. Megan Mullally, Mister um, uh, Mister Fish Odor, yes, Mister Fish Odor, and Megan Mullally plays uh, Bob's wife's sister. 
Uh, but what this show really does well is ground the characters. And this is a family sitcom. I read a great article on the AV Club, the Onion AV Club, about the death of the blue-collar sitcom. And the Bobby middle, Burgers, the middle, the middle, the middle. Well, they, okay. they mention the middle. They mention the middle, and they use it as a shining exemplar <laughs> of the genre. But um, this Bob's Burgers is absolutely the thing they should have picked up and talked about because this is a family. At its core, it's a really kind of good-spirited show. It's it. The kids are kids. They 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 know it's not just kids saying sassy, sarcastic, smarmy things. They really are kids. They act in kid ways. They they believe things that kids believe, like that this abandoned taffy factory is haunted and that there's treasure in it. You know they, and which, yet at the same time, the Kristen Shaw character is also way wise beyond her years yeah. or insane beyond her years. Well, well Kristen Shaw, she's kind of a psychopath, and the character is. I and Gene is my favorite character. Gene or Tina are my favorite characters, but Gene is sort of a he's dumb but he's not stupid like he has his interests he is he's very enthusiastic weird. about he has he is enthusiastic things. about his weirdly discreet interests and tina is this sort of incredibly awkward just sort of just barely pubescent daughter who is into some really weird stuff like a lot like into zombies in a in an uncom in an unseemly way, and and very obsessed with horses and butts and stuff. But the character's <laughs> voice is so thin and reedy. I'm I mean, sorry. There's... I want that to be the title of my memoir now: horses and butts and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't. Well, even that like can horses. at least be the title of this episode: horses and butts and stuff. It's. I mean, she. It's Dan, the guy Dan Mintz is doing a great job, and they tell a lot of just nice family stories, like the. You know, I wrote down some of the episode themes, like, first episode of the Wikipedia summary is, Tina is hitting puberty by laying on the floor, groaning in front of the family. <laughs> and then the rest of the episode involves her wanting to take Brazilian dance fighting classes, uh, but her father wants her to work at the restaurant, so he has to fight uh, the capoeira teacher in a karate duel. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in another episode, their restaurant gets flesh-eating mold or something so the family has to stay at the at the home of one of their regular customers who just so happens to live in his own mortuary um there's a pair yes, of great episodes yeah there's a pair of great episodes that led off the second season called the belchies which is a extended homage loving homage to the goonies <laughs> um and bob day afternoon which is another loving a tribute to Dog Day Afternoon, and I believe it it was uh, came out just after Sidney uh, Lumet died. Although my dates might be off on that, um, but the show does a l other than just grounding the characters, really having a grasp of who the characters are and building relationships. The characters have distinct relationships with each other; they're not just interchangeable joke delivery mechanisms. Um, <laughs> the show does an incredible job with music. The kind of general score of the show is sort of this twangy major key ukulele diddly riff uh, but they do a lot with like sudden dramatic musical cues and quick zoom ins on the characters um and the original songs in the episode in the show are just so good cindy lopper at the end of the the goonies episode cindy lopper has an incredible song and it actually is cindy lopper singing a song called taffy butt and um I'll send you guys a link to Taffy Butt 
we don't have to pause and listen to it now, but someday when you're feeling down, like like in like an hour and a half, just listen to Taffy Butt. It's so funny. It's so hilarious. And the, but the show consistently does dumb, goofy, fun music. But the other thing they do very well is they're mining the the alternative comedy, the independent comedy, and um, just the and the general acting world for really great guest stars. I compiled an extensive list of guest stars, not exhaustive, but um, just for example, Patton Oswalt, Aziz Ansari, Paul F. Tompkins, Robert Smigel, Todd Berry, Paul Shear, Rob Hubel, Kyle Kinane, Ken Jeong, uh, Jack McBrayer, Brian Posehn, Tim and Eric from the Tim and Eric stuff, Jenny Slate, Samantha B, Thomas Lennon, Robert Ben Garant, P- Pamela Adlon, Tim Meadows, Amy Sedaris, Michael Madsen, Gary Cole, and Bill Hader. And that's just some of them. I mean, that's most of them. But the guest stars they get are so consistently excellent. And they're incorporated into the world of the show very well. Uh, actually, I forgot one. Um, I loved Pete and Pete growing up. So when they had Artie the Super Mutant on there, ah. uh, Toby Huss, he was also played one of the German businessmen in 30 Rock a couple years ago. Um, they had him on there too. But the way they incorporate the guest stars is just so phenomenal. Um, John Hamm's going to play a talking toilet this year. Uh, and Zach Galifianakis is going to be on the show as well. Maybe um, that talking toilet will finally get Ham as Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the great things about the show is that unlike pretty much all the other animated shows, unlike The Simpsons, unlike even Archer, which is phenomenal, every episode of Bob's Burgers is recorded live. All the actors are in the studio together recording together and you get this energy in the the track that you don't get when it's pieced together that they are sitting in this room or in in their booths shouting at each other and it's just has this energy that it wouldn't get otherwise and yeah and and on top of the live recording i i feel like there's just a general sense of bonhomie with this show the 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 show is I, I feel happy when I watch a show. I don't necessarily connect with characters on a lot of shows, much less animated shows, but I get genuinely excited when I sit down to watch the show because it's just happy. The show is happy. It's a happy show. And it could easily be a live-action show. There is some stuff that is kind of only doable in the realm of animation, but it, it really could be, you know, this... Um, It could easily be a live-action show, I think. In which I think it, it would really be hard for uh, Kristen Schaal, Eugene Merman, and uh, Dan Mintz to be playing <laughs> uh, kids and teenagers. That's true. I guess the fact that they're able to give life to those kids, it, it's hard to do in real life. But it, it is the, the work they're doing is phenomenal. And um, I, the writing is just so sharp on the show. The gag, even the background gags, much like, uh, oh, I had a good example. But they have... Um, there's always a burger special of the day, and it's usually some food slash pop culture pun, you know, and uh, it and it there's a I think there's a Tumblr that that curates all of them. Of course, there uh, is. But there's just so much texture to the show, and it, and it's um, it's really fun. And like I said, they're the, the restaurant isn't that great. You know, <laughs> they're not like making the world's best burgers. And, but there's very little conflict that comes of it. I mean, there's a few episodes in the first season, um, and it's it's a low, it's it's an easy show to get into because despite this being the third season, I think there's only like 20 episodes, 
Um, and it's, there was, an, it's an animation. There's no con- There's some continuity, but you don't need to watch everything. If you want to watch it, you watch it. It's like television used to be. No serialization, no plot lines, no stories. It's just <laughs> characters thrown together far, into a show. Bad far, I think the funniest episode of anything I saw last year was the eighth episode of the second season. Or this year, uh, May, on... Uh, is bad tina the eighth episode of the second season um let's just say the words erotic friend fiction <laughs> are involved um and there's an extended uh, parody of the famous apple super bowl commercial with throwing the hammer at the screen i mean <laughs> it's if I, amy i'm gonna get you to watch that episode you'll watch okay. that episode and then watch the rest of the uh Watch, watch the rest of the series based on that one episode. You don't need to know anything other than that Tina's weird and that uh, the parents do, in fact, love their children. I had watched the first maybe episode or two of Bob's Burgers, but it was right after I had downed an entire season of Archer in one go. And oh. it was just too jarring to hear Archer's voice come out of Bob. <laughs> And yeah. so I think I need to try it now because I've been I haven't watched Archer in a while, so I could probably dissociate it. Yeah. And it takes a while to gel. That uh, I don't think it really came together. There was a first season episode called Art Crawl, and yeah, that was the, the one <laughs> where this show came together, and it it is hilarious. But that's the one with the animal uh, anatomy. Yes. Parts, right. Yes. <laughs> and uh, if you can't dissociate uh, Bob and Archer. Uh, I believe in the next season of Archer, Archer will be visiting Bob's. Yeah, they, they've, they've mentioned that there's going to be a uh, Worlds collide. <laughs> yeah, Adam Reed and uh, Lauren Bouchard have, uh, and obviously Fox and FX and whoever. Owned, How is that going to studios. look, though? Because the, two, the visual going, style of the two is so different. It's going to be in Archer style. Because okay. it's going to be on Archer. See... One of my friends, nice guy, but in this show is right up his alley, but he can't do the animation style because they don't have elbows. <laughs> and he he just can't watch stuff. He can't watch Adventure Time because they don't have elbows. He can't watch regular show because they don't have elbows. He can't watch this because they don't have elbows. You know, I would have never noticed that, but now that's all I'm going to look at is the elbows or lack <laughs> yeah. thereof. Thanks. And like the very simplistic hands. But the art style is actually really winning. I, it doesn't really... have the squeakies of uh, Dr. Katz and... That, oh, that that was a, a bridge too far for me. I could never this watch. I, can get into. I would have liked Doctor Katz better as a radio program. Yeah, but so that's uh, that's. I mean, what I have to say about um, Bob's Burgers. Um, other than that, uh, you, you got. I mean, Andrew yeah. obviously already watches it. You should watch it, Amy. It it's um, it's very funny and it's heartwarming. There yeah. are times when it actually does warm the cockles of my. Yeah, Bob's Burgers was the other show I was thinking about uh, making a pitch for uh, as the thing I was most excited about after having seen the, the first episode back of, of this year. Also, uh, 30 Rock came back last week and was hilarious. I have heard that. Uh, but uh, I think the other thing that we are all excited about is uh, the show that Amy is going to uh, be excited about. Yeah, okay, so... Dan has seen last night's Homeland, season two, episode two, 
and Andrew has not yet. So I'm going to start just talking about season one and what I was looking forward to in season two, and then I will give Andrew the choice of whether to walk away from the call or not, yeah, we because I'm going a... to spoil the ever-loving shit out of last night's episode. We will Good. have spoiler time, and then I will um, be able and to if, edit if this Andrew until after do, like, I watch a the episode. If you want to do like a pre and post spoiler effect, a spoiler sound effect, that would be okay by me. I'm cool with that. Um, but Listen yes. for the vibra slap. <laughs> okay. So season one of Homeland, of course, you know, it won the best Emmy for the Emmy for best drama. And right, rightfully so, I feel, because, um, you know, I liked Mad Men. I hadn't watched Breaking Bad, but I really at that point and I still haven't watched that season of Breaking Bad. Um, but the, uh, but Homeland was just so tight and Homeland was one of those shows for me that when I watched it on Sunday night and I almost always watched it live, uh, for a couple of reasons, I would watch it live because it was on Showtime. And so I didn't have to worry about fast forwarding through commercials. Uh, I didn't need the commercial buffer. And I also would watch it live because, uh, I would either, either I had to watch it live or I had to shut off Twitter. Oh uh, Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, and then I would just like be, okay, next week, next week, when's next week? How soon can we get to next week? Uh, and I think that's the mark of a good show that, you know, you're just, as soon as the, if, if this was a show that I came to when it was released on DVD, I think it would have been one that, you know, I would have just put it in and been like, okay, and now the next one. Okay. And now the next one, (laughs) um, I, I came into it, uh, not having watched the first three episodes, but having recorded them and kind of binged the first, you know, four or five or six all in two sessions. And, well, because it is a show that you, it, it's very, um, you know, conducive to consecutive viewing. Well, like a, like say a serialized story, it knows exactly where to put the cliffhanger at each, at the end of each episode. Not exactly a cliffhanger, but it knows but, exactly where to stop its actors. story each hour. Yeah, they, yeah. the, the, uh, there's uh, blood from 24 in the writing of this, and they know well, how to pace. Well, they they've used that experience that they know how to pace this season, and it's really well plotted and structured. Sorry to pull a uh, a Portlandia, but did you guys read that article uh, on the Wall Street <laughs> Journal website about the making of the of Homeland? No, I have not. It it sort of talks about this sort of team of rivals. Um, style. They have six. All of the writers are executive producers because they've all been showrunners on other shows. Oh wow! Including yes. Twenty Four, Cold Case, um, Rubicon, run Rubicon, which I love. Um, the, and there's a lot of that DNA. I mean, you can see this is a show that. I mean, I really. You can see where its DNA comes from. It's right out there in the open. It has 24's nose and um, Rubicon's eyes and, you know, cold cases, uh, sense of incessant plotting. Um, It is. This show is so good, guys. Uh, But it's still missing something. I'm really waiting for Mandy Patinkin to sing. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Sorry, I just had to get that in there. The and the first season, of course, you know we also you have Emmys for Claire Danes and Damian Lewis, both deserved. And I'm I'm really I mean Claire Danes was a slam dunk. I mean, as soon as you watch the first episode of Homeland, you're thinking, 
there's no way it doesn't matter what she does in the next 12 hours of this she's just got the emmy and um, it gets better from there. But I would say that Damian Lewis, I was very pleased to see him win it, even though it meant, you know, Ham missed out again. Um, but I was very pleased to see Damian Lewis get it because I thought his role was very tricky. And yet he played it in a way that because um, his character was set up as amb- ambiguous from the start to the audience. Like it was a long time before. It was only three episodes. Well, when I watched those in three weeks, it felt like a long time. Okay. <laughs> um, no, this, you know, it really did take a long time before laying out the cards of where Brody really stands. That where Brody Lewis, really st- and and it kept going. That he was very mysterious and very uh, you know, close to the vest as to what he was thinking the whole time, and well, you and saw that in his. Even though you knew what his involvement was after episode three, you still didn't know if he was actually going to act on it and how deep into it he was. And you're absolutely right. I and that's, by... that's a really tricky performance to play. Um, where it, I mean, it had to be a screenwriter's dream that, you know, you write this script and this character to be ambiguous and to keep the audience guessing. And then you get an actor who manages to not give it away in his performance. Yeah, I, uh, I guess we should probably set up the the general plot for for people who maybe haven't watched it. Yes. Yeah, so, oh <laughs> so uh, simply. Uh, hey, let me do it. This is my show. <laughs> <laughs> you can jump in and correct me if I get stuff wrong. Um, you have Carrie played by Claire Dan- Claire Carrie, right? I'm yes, Carrie Matheson. Names. I'm terrible with character names, so you can jump in on that. Um, Carrie is a CIA analyst and she has information about, is it Abdul Al-Nazir? Yes. Abu Nazir. Abu Nazir. Abu Nazir, who's kind of like a Bin Laden character. Is that fair to say? Yeah. He's a a terrorist leader of some nature. He's Muslim and he's in the Middle East. And he is a, a big target for the CIA. Um, and, Carrie's superior is, of course, Mandy Patinkin, uh, and superior and also kind of mentor and even a little bit father figure, even though we do eventually meet Carrie's dad and he seems supportive and loving. Um, But it's almost like a second father figure. And then you also have Damien Lewis playing Brody, um, a prisoner of war who was held captive for how many years? Eight. Eight years. And he was held captive with another prisoner i mean with another soldier and he the other soldier died and brody has come is the only one to come back to the united states and without saying any more um so that way i mean we're going to spoil the shit out of the second season so i guess we can go ahead and do it now the first season so why don't why don't we have spoiler time uh when we'll be current up through episode two of season two and right now let's stick to general non-spoilery talk so that if anyone is well, listening guess... we can uh, alert them uh, to when the spoiler time is going to be okay so well because i don't know how much you want me to talk about season one and what happens over season one to these characters and how the storyline develops now let's try to be as general as possible for now uh, which uh okay so what we'll say there is, is that a lot of it becomes it, it is it is unclear throughout most of the series 
Uh, it's revealed fairly early on that there's a possibility that Brody could be could have been you know turned when he was a prisoner of war, uh, kind of a Stockholm syndrome, uh, Patty Hearst sort of thing, where now he's uh, he might be involved with this terrorist organiza- organization as one of their agents, one of their operatives. Um, and and Carrie this, is convinced of this from the beginning. From the very beginning, that's what Carrie maintains. Um, but of course, you have to tread very lightly because the guy comes home a national hero. So it sort of becomes a cat and mouse game in some ways between the two of them. But what's interesting is that I say cat and mouse, but we don't actually know if he's the mouse. Uh, you know, uh, we don't know if she should be pursuing him as relentlessly as she is. And we don't know, you know, exactly you learn that, yes, he has converted to Islam, but you don't necessarily know how far that's going to take him in terms of being involved with this terrorist organization. And that's what is talking about with ambiguous. But the other thing that the show does that I think was kind of interesting, um, I was a big fan of The Unit, which I started watching after it finished airing. And one of the reasons I started watching it was because I liked Terrier so much. And I went back and looked at, okay, what else has Sean Ryan done? And he, you know, one of his credits is The Unit. And, of course, it's written by David Mamet. And one of the things that The Unit always did fairly well was talk about soldiers. And, I mean, you had these special op guys and they would be doing their, you know, their mission of the week or whatever. But there was also a lot of stuff going on about the wives that were back on base and how these men interacted with their families and how they were when they were away from their families and that sort of thing. And with Brody, you have him coming back to a wife played by Marina Baccarin. Yes. Uh, Baccarin. Baccarin. Firefly. Yes. And and that, you know, she plays his wife and he has two kids who are kind of teenage, preteen. I think the son's maybe, you know, junior high and the daughter's high school. And, uh, you know, he's clearly suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, whether he has become a terrorist operative or not, he's, you know, been through an incredibly stressful situation. And, you know, whether he was turned, if he was turned, that was stressful. If he wasn't turned, he was still a prisoner of war for eight years. And he is, uh, their marriage is definitely strained by his PTSD. Uh, and... You know, you think about, like, for me, the thing I started thinking about was eight years ago, what was a smartphone? You know, like, if he's been a prisoner of war for that long, how much of modern life, how much of our modern culture does he have no clue about? You know, if he was held in a hole in a war zone for how long, it's not just a matter of the post-traumatic stress disorder. It's also just a matter of reentering American culture. Yeah, and, one of the things I was actually surprised about was how kind of easy it was for Brody to get back into the swing of America, of uh, Washington, D.C. life. Right. But so you have that plot line going along at the same time as you have the CIA plot line, you know, and, and their suspicions about him. Um, but I thought the show does a really good job of talking about how this man would be reintegrated with his family 
And especially in light of, and this is something I think I can say in a non-spoiler way about season two, um, that, you know, when his family becomes aware of his faith, how is that going to affect them? Because they aren't Muslim. And, you know, what are they going to feel about him being, you know, a devout believer of this religion with which they're not affiliated? Um, and how is his wife going to feel about that? Because that's not the man she married. And so I think that's an interesting aspect that they that they kind of get into as well. So there's your setup for season one. One of the things that Homeland does that's also very good, uh, they're incredible attention. Uh, some of the set pieces are really, really good. Uh, yes. There was a a scene involving an explosion in a public place that just absolutely knocked me off my feet uh, because it was thrilling. It was somewhat unexpected and it was terrifying in its realism. Yes. Uh, I think when you've, but, but lest you think it's all 21, 24 um, Jack Bauer blowing stuff up, the show can make even the, uh, even the most mundane of things incredibly tense oh um, yeah yeah, yeah there, I mean, there's so much great tension and uh, i think the best scenes are the ones that throw the characters together it's not even just the action part of it which isn't really actiony in the the sense of there's a lot of stuff blowing up and it's cartoony violence no but the reason i the reason i brought that scene up is because um clearly showtime is giving them the money to make the show they need to make uh they're not skimping. This doesn't look like a USA show, you know. This actually, they they talk in that article I linked you about how they. It's not a huge budget, but they do such a good job. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean it. It looks, it looks like a it looks like a, a well funded movie, as opposed to a TV production. Yeah, it's well done. It even looks pretty much like it's filmed on location in Washington, even though it is mostly filmed, I believe, in South Carolina. Hmm. Well, um, and and I think they do a really good job on the show of not doling out the plot too quickly, but also not slowing it down too much. Like uh, Breaking Bad got I was gonna say, it's in somewhere... its first and second season. What were you going to say? I was going to say, so it's somewhere in between the extremes of The Vampire Diaries and Treme? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of plot speed. <laughs> um, there are times when it moves really quickly. And there are times when it does not, and it kind of lives in a moment. There's a great, there's a great uh, episode where it's it's just two characters, and I don't want to spoil it, but I, if you've seen the show, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and that was um, that was actually a pairing I hadn't expected to see that quickly. Yeah, to that and extent. That's a, I I think what was interesting so long was Claire Danes has. I was going to say it at the beginning of this discussion when you talked about how it was she was a slam dunk for the Emmy. It's because she's playing crazy. Um, it's not a spoiler to say that this character has uh, has a mental disorder. Actually, we don't know that in the very beginning. Oh, we don't? Well, so was that a spoiler? You know she has problems, and you know she's taking pills. But I remember, at least for me, I couldn't decide if she was like an addict in sort of a house kind of way. You know, Gregory House MD, or if she was, you know, mentally ill and these were the medications she needed in order to survive. 
Okay, I... I, I, it doesn't I, take long for them to spell it out. Uh, so I don't feel bad about it. But either way, she's go, <laughs> she goes full crazy in this show. Um, and she does a very good job of playing playing uh, Carrie Matheson. I, I, I've used this quote a lot, but, uh, but James Cameron, when asked about Michael Bean in The Terminator, uh, which is not a reference I would have ever thought I'd bring up about Homeland, but he said that he cast Michael Bean because he was capable of look at, looking tough and scared at the same time. Mm. And Carrie uh, does that very well. I should say Claire Danes as Carrie does that very well. Um, she's she's riding the, the razor's edge a lot of the times between sanity and insanity, between bravery and, you know, being really scared. And she doesn't get called on to be an action heroine all that much, which is nice. It's well, nice to see a character whose best assets are between her ears, not, <laughs> you know, in the palm of her hands or in the palm of anyone's hand. Well, that's the thing is that um, she's playing. I mean, you say she's going, she, you know, she's playing crazy and, and she is. But at the same time, she's also playing one of the most believably intelligent people on television now. And by believably intelligent, I don't mean sort of the eccentric kind of thing that you have on the mentalist or elementary or, you know, even psych, you know, where it's like, oh, I look at this and I am clever and I figure it out. I mean, this is obviously a woman whose brain clicks pretty fast. And, and, and it's still a real person. But it's still a real person. And I think what's kind of interesting is Carrie is almost, you can almost picture what Carrie was like in high school, what she was like in graduate school. Because you know she went to graduate school, and you know where she was always smart, and she was almost smart in a way that made both her and you nervous. Because hmm. she's so smart. Um, um, so I, I really like that about her character. That they also have an excuse for why she's. I, I, I like the interplay between her and the surveillance guy in the first. Oh season. yes, I like Virtual. that a lot. Um, Virgil, that's right. I, I really hope they bring him back because he is so good. Uh, but they had an excuse for why she's so uh, um, model actress skinny. When in the, in real life, this character would would probably weigh about two hundred and twenty pounds with all the stress she's under. Not necessarily. Um, Some people respond to stress. to stress by not eating. That's true. I'm I'm not that person. I was gonna say I, she she's a little bit like a greyhound, sort of skinny and nervous and smart. I greyhound is the best way to put it. I mean, I'm. There are times where she just. You really like you. I feel bad for her because I feel like the only direction they give her is just like don't nap for I don't know two years and then <laughs> come play this part. Well, and high strung. I think high strung would be a, a good way to describe Carrie, and not in but, sort of a neurotic way, but yeah. in like a at any high strung in the sense that at any moment she could snap like a guitar string. I also like that it could be really exploitative in ways there it would be really easy to just get you know the pretty female lead of a show like this um in various stages of undress all the time but when they actually do it in the show it's used really well and let's, i mean there's a point and i don't think this is a spoiler where she's changing her clothes yeah to, i remember that go this out. Is like the first episode yeah where she's she's changing her clothes to go out to a um to to a to a bar and she just changes like three times 
and just looks at herself in the mirror and like slumps down and just like I don't even think she cries. I think she just like sits there for a minute and you're just like, wow, that it. A lot of times I don't believe it when pretty actresses have to play troubled, but Claire Danes makes me really believe it in a way that I feel like bad for her in real life. <laughs> well, one thing that's good, I mean, like you say, when they use her nudity, it's for uh, it, it, a lot of times it's to express Carrie's vulnerability. Um, you know sort of which is i think a good way to use nudity you know the because it's a nice you know naked naked um now the other nudity on the show that's of course worth discussing is marina bacher and yes um (laughs) yeah and uh not it doesn't it never hits you know game of thrones uh what's the what's that exploitation sex uh it never quite hits that uh but in another way, I mean, in some ways, they also are using Marina Baccarin's nudity because, you know, when I mentioned earlier that you're dealing with Brody's PTSD, uh, making love to his wife is an area that's difficult. And from what I understand, that's actually something that's quite common for returning soldiers and or for any kind of PTSD sufferers is that it can make intimacy difficult. And, you know, having her be naked during those scenes, you know, puts her at the most risk, you know, and, and, and and so it's, even though it's probably a lovely view for those of you that are inclined that way, uh, it's also, it's also very powerful in putting you into what's going on between those characters. It's not, it's it's not nudity for the sake of premium cable nudity, but it actually works in the story. I'm just going to say, that scene with Marina Baccarin and uh, Nicholas Brody uh, with Damian Lewis, it's not its not titillating in the least. It's no. really disturbing. No. Um, and it's uh, – that that there are a couple of great scenes. The, the show – I mean, I'm just amazed at the right level of writing on the show. Not just the plotting, and but the actual writing. The Every – episode i kept waiting for them to mess up with this show i kept waiting maybe it's because i'm biased against their you know their their network pedigrees but i kept waiting for them to mess up and they never they they very rarely mess up there's only like one part that i kind of rolled my eyes at um and that's in the first season finale um but but i got over it so the um the climax of the season is what i'm talking about the 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 other which character they used to get through to which character right. was a choice I was not fond of, but I could see where it came from. The other thing that I think is interesting to me about Homeland is that I think is definitely, and I mean, it's part of a larger trend of what we've seen in the last few years with uh, the best drama is they're going to the shows that have, that, I mean, they tend to be going to the shows that are on the cable or on the premium channels that have the shorter seasons. And, I mean, I just think at this point, it's hard to argue that in terms of telling an interesting and compelling and riveting story, that a 22-episode season is a good thing. No, I, th- I think 13 hours of story is, or, uh, you know, 13 times uh, two-thirds hours of story is a great amount of story. It gives you enough time to develop characters, but it doesn't overwhelm you with too much time. And uh, all of these shows are doing 13-episode seasons 
uh, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Homeland. I think Homeland did twelve, right? Or was it thirteen? Uh, something in that that realm yeah. of of time frame is. But these are also mostly they're lo- slightly longer because they don't. It's mitigated because it's slightly longer because they don't have ad ads. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they'll. Um, I mean, sometimes they use that. Full, I mean, there have been times when they've used the full hour. You know, they've taken advantage of the fact that they have a full hour. Yes. Yeah. And it is a more story. It is more development. It is. It, it does things that a 44-minute episode couldn't do. So do we want to have Dan and Amy spoiler so time? So it's now spoiler time. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it quick. Listen for the Viber Slap. And uh, it's now <laughs> spoiler time. Welcome to the Spoiler Zone. Prepare for major spoilers through Season 2, the end of Episode 2 of Homeland. So we'll give it, Andrew, like five seconds to clear out. Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> oh my gosh, Saul knows. Saul knows. <laughs> Saul well, knows. Saul found, the, Saul found the flash drive. Well, and what's amazing about that is... Okay, so let's back up and let's talk a little bit about the second season. So you end the first season with Carrie having the electroshock therapy and Brody almost assassinating the vice president. Uh, But he changes his mind at the last minute. And you can explain now, if you want to briefly, why you didn't like how that went. Um, They put him on the phone with his daughter, who basically they had Carrie really scare the crap out of their family, of Brody's family, and basically have the the daughter call and say, dad, please don't blow and please don't blow up the president. But without knowing that she's the only thing the daughter knows is that her dad is a secret Muslim, um, which I'm making it sound dumb, but it's really not dumb. Um, so, so, so you're wondering, I mean, like I am, you know, I was wondering after last season, okay, what's season two going to be? Because, you know, you still have Brody alive. Um, and, you still, but you have Carrie's gone off to get electroshock therapy, and so where's it going to go? And what we open on is he's now Brody's now a congressman. I mean, which was kind of set up in the last they, season. They laid a lot of pipe for that. That uh, was a big deal. Uh, and you have Carrie is gardening. Yeah. Uh, and how they rope her back in is a female contact that is married to one. I heard Andrew breathe. Nah, he, it's probably just a thumb. I don't know. Okay. If he wants to, if he wants to get take the spoilers secretly, okay. he can. Okay. Basic, basically, um, the there's so, a contact who needs Carrie, who will only talk to Carrie, and so they bring. He, he, Carrie she thought in. she was out, but she's coming back for one more job. But but, then, but they handle it very well. I mean, yeah, they handle and, it. In, I'm making it sound dumb, but it's not dumb. Well, they handle it very well in that both parties are very unsure about it. You know, Carrie isn't sure that this is the right thing for her to do. Um, Saul and the rest of the CIA aren't sure that this is, that they can trust her, you know. Well, I think Saul is more concerned about her health. Well, and I was about... going to say, and then Saul is also concerned about her personally. Um, and so I like that it wasn't just, you know, like on a lot of these shows, when the person comes back in, it's all shrugged off. And with And with Carrie, they're still keeping it sort of like, you know, and, and even when you get to the second episode where the the contact gives her a way that they can uh, kill Nazir and, you know, Carrie has to convince Saul, I trust this woman. 
And so let's talk about maybe the most unbelievable thing in the whole show. Yeah. That he Brody, that Brody he, sending a text message from a situation room in the CIA that no one notices. That no one notices. And to be fair, the, he sent the text message May first, which of course means May Day. Um, and uh, the guy scatters, and I sort of don't like how it's constantly Brody foiling Carrie, like. I would like there to be another layer of separation there. Um, not that they know it. The, each other don't know it, really. Um, uh, Carrie doesn't know that Brody's foiling her specifically most of the time, and vice versa. But, uh, and, but what it all leads up to is um, Saul, played by Mandy Patinkin, uh, figuring out uh, that Brody might be a terrorist. <laughs> well, he finds the he finds the flash drive and Carrie goes in and brings season. stuff out of the the informant's uh apartment and part of what she finds she puts stuffs everything in a bag and in the lining of the bag is the flash drive. And when Saul watches it, he sees Brody's confession that we presume was what was supposed to have aired. Well, he taped it. He taped it. Um, you actually see him taping it in the first season. Oh, uh, did you? Okay. He was gonna blow himself up. Remember, so right, he wanted right. so to. Like, he, made, he made it for his family. He made it for his family. I think. And he. No, I mean because it. he introduces himself, and he wouldn't have introduced himself oh, to yeah, his that's family. True. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So this is supposed uh, to be for broadcast. Oh, because remember, he hid it under like under a rock in a park, but then so that. He, so that you know no one would know where it was but then after he didn't blow himself up he went back to go get it and it wasn't there so you knew somebody had evidence to blackmail him i'm remembering so way it was chekhov's flash drive <laughs> it was chekhov's it to be fair it's not a flash drive it's an sd card pardon um, me sd card I, I i called it a flash drive at first but it is an sd card um, um so now this sets up season two yeah, so now I mean, Saul knows. You thought season two was just going to be about, okay, they've sucked Carrie back in, but now you have someone and, in the CIA who has definitive proof about Brody. But Saul knows, but Carrie doesn't know. In fact, it's Well, he hasn't had a Carrie chance to apart. call her yet. It, it tears Carrie apart that she thinks she was wrong. Also, um, there's a point where Carrie has been nervous the whole time about getting back into the game, and then she kind of has to go through on this tense walking speed chase through a um a bazaar and um she if not only evades a guy trying to chase her and capture her uh but she sort of gets off on it like you can the face she makes she just sort of smiles which is the episode title the smile and and she's sort of i mean you can see that she's sick in one way but she's also sick in another way like she lives for this stuff yeah, uh, well, because it's using, and I mean, your heart breaks a little bit for her when she's having that confrontation with Saul, and you know, she's saying, "How could I have never felt so right about anything, and yet it was wrong?" And you know, as the audience, your your heart's breaking for her because you know she was right. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, Claire Danes. I don't know what it is about her, but. She extracts so much just 
empathy and emotion from I everyone I know who watches the show just loves that character. Uh, Carrie and Carrie's pretty awful. She does some awful shit. And um oh, I think that's our first uh, four letter of the uh, of the podcast. No, it's, it's not. Like, I already oh, said sorry. I was going to spoil the ever loving shit. So, yeah. Okay. We're good. So yeah, as long as you as long as you pop the cork. I I I take, I broke the sip. swearing barrier, yeah. Yeah. It, it only took me 2 hours. So <laughs> um but man, I feel so bad for that character. And I, I like every time her eyes get watery and she starts to cry, I'm like, no, Carrie, don't cry. You're really smart. You're good at this stuff. And, you know, <laughs> it's, but at the same time, she, it's great to see. I mean, because that part easily could be played by a male. It could have been written slightly differently and it could be played by a male. And, but Yes and no, because I think actually her part of her fragility could be associated with being female well i mean i don't know i'm not gonna speak to that but um i i like that it's a role where somebody is using their brain and being smart and it, it, it's a different sort of bravery it's really easy to sh- to show like classical examples of bravery but i mean she fights herself just as much as she fights al-qaeda and that's I think that's so so key. But there is a lot of jazz in this show. I, so, I kind of that's my only real issue with Homeland is the amount of jazz. I actually tweeted about it. Uh, and then I mentioned, it's I good mentioned, for you, Daniel. You'll and be. And then fun. I mentioned extra hot great, and they they at replied me. They're now dormant. The now retired podcast tweeted at me with its dormant handle um, <laughs> about it being America's best spy themed jazz show. Okay. There, there's, but so should we should we message should we bloop Andrew back in? Wait, hold on. What's thumping? Is that's that... oh, that's my dog. Hey, stop it! <laughs> they can hear you. The nice people on the internet can hear you, Chief. Aww. Um, oh, he is old. So the well, before we bring Andrew back in, what do you think is going to happen now? Now that we know where do... season how season two is being set up, where do I think they go from here? Well, I think Saul's probably going to keep it secret for either if if. The but why would Saul keep Saul. it secret? Well, either the first scene has to be Saul keeping it secret, or either either the first scene is Saul telling somebody, preferably Carrie. But I think that I don't think they give us that scene where Carrie is so torn up about being wrong. If if there isn't an internal conflict with Saul, you know what I mean. I don't think they give that to us unless Saul holds back. Um. So just fr- from a from a, you know, soup bones standpoint, I think that's probably what happens. Where do I think they go from here? Well, I mean, um, I think one... They're still chasing Abu Naz. Oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I think one intriguing possibility is, are we about to get a double agent setup? Uh, where they set a sting for... No, where they try Brody? and turn Brody into being a double agent. That would be... I see, that's why I'm not a, a showrunner. I, I didn't think of that. I think they they probably now have to, and then that would put Carrie and Brody back on the same side, and their chemistry is incredible. Well, either you have to take the flash drive and Saul out of the picture, you know, in that way where, you know, TV, he goes to confront Brody without telling anybody where he's going, with the flash drive on his person, this SD card on his person, you know. Which I don't think this show. I don't think Saul is that stupid, and I don't think this show is that stupid, and I don't think they they're no, we, they go to we, their audience is that stupid. The episode where so, Saul goes after those two on the run uh, sleeper agents is is enough to show that Saul is smart. 
So that's not going to happen. So if you arrest Brody, because Saul's obviously going to tell somebody and something's going to get done, if you arrest Brody, then where does the show go from there if you just arrest him? You know, him in jail? That's not that's not <laughs> that's not a very good use of your Emmy Award winning lead actor. So well, I, I agree. maybe maybe a double agent thing. I, I think they probably do the double agent thing. I think I really think we're going to end up Maybe we'll see that. I mean, we've seen that there are Abu Nazir has other people in America because of that woman. We can see Estes is getting in trouble. I think maybe they'll start to think Estes is in on it because she he's gonna obviously start dating that you know, or at least he's going to on a date with that um, Abu Nazir's other you know undercover agent in the U.S. infrastructure. Right. Um, I don't know. I the show consistently surprises me, and the people who run it are obviously way smarter than I am. I mean, um, will Brody turn to the CIA because suddenly he's less scared of, well, you know, he's more scared of Nazir than he is of being critical of America. Well, so. I think I think everyone knows that he can't really be running for, I mean, you, you, what, the one other thing I like about the show, there's always dueling motives. Yes, he would probably love to be vice president because they're setting him up as a vice presidential candidate. But Abu Nazir could blow that up for him, but he could also... He would also like to have powerful friends. I mean, I mean, I think that there's. It'll be interesting to see which way they go with it. I couldn't possibly speculate. Um, the only things I can hope for are more Morena Baccarin because she was great in the second episode where she got mad at Brody. I think she reacted, and it's nice to see that she wasn't like a smart understand. Like the daughter kind of got it, you know, but she mm-hmm. didn't. She didn't. She got really mad. And, you know, tossed his hidden his secret Koran on the floor. Well, I mean, and, and why shouldn't she be mad? I mean, I think well, she con- should be converting to a different faith and not telling your spouse about it when we can presume he's been back, what, almost a year, maybe at this point. And, you know, how can he keep that from her for right. that long? So, yeah, let's end spoiler time. OK. All right. And where's it? It's <laughs> We should just start spitballing about about like so then so then Carrie C- Carrie becomes the Carrie becomes the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. And when they reveal uh, that she has gills, that was amazing. Yeah, well, I, I really thought it was incredible when uh, Damian Lewis walked into the pyre where they were burning Mandy Patinkin, and he hatched three dragons. That was awesome. I didn't know eggs could come from that place on a pony. <laughs> uh, are you back, Andrew? I'm back. Okay. We, uh, uh, now that I've been spoiled for Game of Thrones season out. one. What? Now that I've been spoiled for Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you hadn't seen it. Uh, Had you not seen it? I, Don't believe anything I said. <laughs> I, I've i actually read, I in the last month I've read three of the books, so. Oh, hey, uh, did you need me to send you the most I, recent I, one? No, nah, I can get it through interlibrary loan. Okay. That, thank you, though, oh, libraries. My local library doesn't have a copy of it. I'm going to have to get it from the next town over. A Dance with Dragons. So I we, filched, we finished I a... filched one from our employee lending library and was going to oh. send it to you. Oh, that would have been really nice. <laughs> um, well, now you own a copy. The uh, No, I'll go anyway. put it back in the library. <laughs> so that we finished up spoiler time. Um is there anything else we want to t- do? We want to do like 
a wrap up like what our best bets are we talked about six shows um we talked well, about i think elementary. that's enough i think i think well, that's no, enough. No, 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 briefly but, but do, we can do a best bet how about briefly like, we go through and say what are some of the other things you're excited to be watching this fall no disposition just listing all right I, let me think. I'll go through it I can, by I can picturing, the, the picturing the TV schedule in my head. I'm I, super excited about the return of Heart of Dixie, which came back last week. Vampire Diaries premieres this week. Uh, Grey's Anatomy is having a late career resurgence that is really stunning. Uh, perennial favorite Big Bang Theory, Parks and Rec. Excited about those all coming back. And, of course... The ABC comedies, The Middle, uh, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, and Happy Endings. I'm excited about all of those being back. Um, and then Sunday nights, you've got Your Good Wife. I'm happy about that being back. And Switched at Birth is back on. So, Okay, Dan? Um, I am watching How I Met Your Mother, um, mm. Parenthood. Oh, I forgot uh, Parenthood, yeah. Uh, Parenthood is is really doing incredibly uh, well. Um, uh, New Girl. Uh, oh yeah, oh, I watched it. Good Good Wife, Mindy Project, uh, SNL, which had a great first two episodes, not so much the other. Um, I'm hopping back on board with a revamped Dexter, Boardwalk Empire. Uh, oh, all the Thirty Rock. Uh, when all the comedies I love come back, like Happy Endings and Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three. Uh, I'm still sticking with Modern Family for a little while. A community which, as this podcast was recording, um, they shelved the premiere date to a uh, a date to be named later. But someday community will come back and do terrible ratings to get canceled. I'm still going to watch The Walking Dead, even though it did almost nothing. Um, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and The League are both <laughs> hilarious, if sometimes deranged, shows. Suburgatory is... Oh, yeah, uh, is yeah. I love Suburgatory. I, I can't get me enough. Uh, Jane, uh, whatever her name is. Levy. Levy. Uh, uh, sh- um, oh, and uh, I'm probably going to give uh, Chicago Fire a shot because, I don't know, It's I got to watch some network drama, right? I'm hoping no, for shirtless don't. firefighters in that one. <laughs> um, and then um, uh, there's probably going to be some cable shows. Some random cable comedy will premiere. No one will watch it, and I'll get excited about it. Like Party Down, you know, there's always some cable comedy on the way up. But I watch a lot of TV. so. And uh, for me, I'm very excited for The Daily Show and The Colbert Report to cover Indecision 2012. Ooh, great pick, uh, great pick. I'm thrilled to get Boardwalk Empire back. Uh, see what else is on here. Grey's Anatomy has actually been really good the last couple episodes. I look forward to that continuing. Uh, the Office is in its last season, and what the hell? Uh, Parks and Rec. That's my sentiment. 30 Rock, also in its last season, but actually great still. And I'm really excited to get uh, 30 for 30 back, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. So... It's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun fall. Um, hopefully we can uh, we can do this again sometime before like the eight month mark. So yeah, that's uh, that wraps up this episode of the podcast. Uh, thanks again to Dan and Amy. Uh, anyone want to plug anything? Uh, again, you can catch me on the Baltimore Sun TV Lust site 
uh, for Parks and Rec and Dancing with the Stars. Uh, and my cats are famous on the internet. The evil <laughs> killing machines. As we're fond of reminding you. Yeah, they just made the oatmeal today. Yes. Although and, uh, not mine specifically. In spirit. Um, I'm I'm Dan. I'm on Twitter at uh, at Naked Baby Photos, the name of a Ben Folds album, not any other uh, reason. Um, and uh, since I'm no longer in college and can't pimp for my college newspaper, um, if any of you want to give an aspiring uh, project manager or a quality control manager or a management engineer a job, I'm willing to relocate. <laughs> <laughs> so as Dan for his resume. Uh, thanks again. You can find the show notes at buzzrantrave.com. If you've listened this far, uh, you probably need something better to do. Thanks a lot. And I guess among those better things to do now, uh, go to buzzrantrave.com to find a list of places to volunteer or donate for the New York, New Jersey area, Sandy Relief. Thank you. <laughs>